you would open up your Bibles to Romans 7. Romans chapter 7. We're going to be preaching on the whole chapter. Um, Jake read the first half of it earlier. So we'll pick up in verse 13. Romans chapter 7. As you're turning there, one of the most prominent theologians of the 21st and 20th century, here's what he said about this text. He said, what we're reading here is a description of the healthy Christian in honest and realistic self-assessment. That's going to be very interesting as we read this. He says, actually, that when a Christian honestly evaluates themselves, that this is accurate to the normal experience of the Christian life. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 25. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we do come to you. You who sits and reigns on the throne, which means that we can only approach you through the one who is the living and true way, Jesus Christ. And we've come to ask you that we might see him and his glory in the gospel of grace this evening. In order to see Him, we ask that you would make the preaching of the Word faithful to your Word. That you would help there to be clarity and unity and simplicity to the sermon so that we might understand it. That you would help us to feel the gravity of the text, but yet also the tenderness of the text. Show us how this redefines our understanding of the Christian life. So Holy Spirit, as we hear the word proclaimed to us, would you help us to grasp hold of this by faith? Would you give us that faith? 
And would you do that great work in us this evening that only you can do? We ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you do when you get knocked down in life? What do you do when you get knocked down in life? I think you could almost make it simplistic and summarize it with saying there's typically two reactions that we have whenever we're knocked down in life, and they come from movies. One of them is from the classic Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. You know, when uh, Ralphie and his brother, who are polar opposites, they're walking to school one day, and Ralphie's little brother has so many coats on that he can't even put his arms down, and he gets bumped in the shoulder, and when he gets bumped over, he falls on his back, and he says, I can't get up! And he's just rolling around wallowing, and And that picture of him is really a symbolic moment of his entire personality. He just rolls around and he says, this is just the way things are. There's that philosophy of what happens when we get knocked down. Or there's the philosophy of Rocky Balboa. In one of the 18 Rocky movies, he says at one point, it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Let me ask you again. What do you do whenever you get knocked down in life? Paul is essentially asking that question to us, but particularly in the Christian life. And what he wants us to think is, What do we do when we get knocked down in the Christian life by our sin? How do we respond? A Christmas story? Rocky. Well, we can often have the philosophy of the little brother from the Christmas story, and I keep forgetting his name, but you can correct me after this. We often, whenever we still struggle and wrestle with Sin, we often say, well, I can't get up. This is just the way it is. Or maybe we even say, well, I must have lost my salvation. And maybe that's what some of you feel tonight. And maybe your time in college has made you think that you've gone too far, that maybe I'm not saved anymore. But maybe you can also have a different response. That you can actually, by the power of Christ, you can get back up and keep fighting. Which approach do you have? What Paul is saying in this text is this. If you're a Christian, it is not if you will sin. It is how will you respond when you sin. The Christian, as we're going to see... The Christian will still sin, but how will you respond whenever your sin knocks you down? That's what we want to look at. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 7. When we get knocked down by sin, one of the options is, will we go back to putting ourselves underneath the law? Verse 1, or do you not know, brothers, and it means they're brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. Do you not know that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives? For a married man 
Or excuse me, if a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Paul is giving this uh, analogy, this illustration in verses 1 through 3 to paint the picture of the Christian's relationship to the law. So Paul gives this illustration of this. He's saying, look, picture this married couple. You know, there's Bob and Sue. We'll just say Bob and Sue, whoever they are. Well, let there be rain, right? Um, picture, picture Bob and Sue. They're married, and Bob dies. Now Sue, because of Bob dying, Sue is free to marry someone else. But as long as Bob is still alive, she's bound to him. That's what Paul's saying. Now, it's really important because what just came in chapter 6, I know it's like super distracting, uh, but it's kind of awesome that it's finally raining today. Um, hey, can you turn me up a little bit, maybe? Yeah. Um, what happened in chapter 6? Remember, in chapter 6 it said, we died to sin. Now, that fits with this illustration. Paul is saying, what is the Christian's relationship to the law? Because as long as we have not died to the law, we're still living underneath it. But now that we have union with Christ, we've died to the law, and now we, we belong to another. That's what he's saying. Here's what Paul is trying to say here in this early part. Whenever you sin, whenever sin knocks you down again, don't go back to living as if you're under the roof of God's law. As if the law is still condemning you. As if God is still going to punish you. Or as if this literally looks like a car wash outside, which is really crazy. But as if this, let's take this example. As if now that you've sinned, God's going to remove the roof of His grace and pour down His wrath on you again. Isn't that what we often think whenever we sin again? Whenever you look at pornography again. Whenever you hook up with your boyfriend or girlfriend again. Whenever you just... Blow your top of being impatient and angry with someone again. Whatever it might be, we think that we have to go back underneath the law. Here's what Paul says in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So Paul's saying this, even though you struggle with sin, you're married to another one. You have a different relationship. The covenant of works where the law would punish you, where the law would pound you, that's not your relationship anymore. Now the relationship that you have is that you're married to Christ. What does that mean? Well, maybe if you've been in multiple different relationships before, maybe you've seen this happen, where when you were in a previous relationship, you broke up, and then later on, whenever it happened, you got into a new relationship. 
in the new relationship, did you ever find yourself still acting like you were with the other person? And you were still thinking those same ways? You were still looking at that person saying, well, that's probably how they're going to treat me or I better do this or that. You, even though you're in a new relationship, you still act like you were in this previous one. Here's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is learning to live in light of the new relationship and not the old one. That's what the Christian life is. You have a new relationship to God's law. The law now is not, you know, the guard who just pummels you and beats you up and leaves you in jail. Now God's law is a friendly guide. Helping you know what path in life to walk down. You can probably turn me down a little bit now. <clears throat> what Paul is saying here is that we've died to the law in that beating up way. And now that we're married to Christ, we have a new relationship to the law. So what does that mean? Whenever sin knocks you down, Here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to say, well, now I have to do something to make up for what I did, right? Now I need to go on a streak of doing good works in order to make up for the sin that I just did. We put ourselves in our own purgatory saying, I must do this, this, and this in order to free myself. Right? Sometimes that's as simple as this. I'm going to make myself, I'm just going to obliterate myself in my conscience for this entire week. And then after this week's done, of just pummeling myself to death in my conscience. Then I can feel good to come back to Christ. Paul's saying this. That's not your reality anymore. But now you're in Christ. Yes, you sinned. But you don't respond by going back to that old relationship. That's what he's trying to say there. What Paul's pointing out here is this. Is that in the old relationship with the law, it only pointed out our faults. Y'all been in uh, hotels before where you've seen those, um, those kind of oval-shaped small mirrors in the bathroom. And it's got the really bright light around the edge. And um, I mean, it's typically used for makeup or, you know, just seeing the pores on your face. Um, and have you noticed there that whenever you look into one of those mirrors, you're like, ooh, my face is a lot more uh, just flaws to it than I thought. That's what God's law does. It shows you your flaws. But if you look at God's law apart from Christ, the only thing you will see is your sin. Here's what you have to learn in the new Christian life. Here's what you have to know in this new relationship, you cannot look at God's law without bringing Christ in the picture. When you look at God's law, yes, you need to see your sin. But you also need to see the Christ who fulfilled the law for you. Amen? Paul is trying to tell us that whenever sin knocks us down in life, don't go back to the old relationship. Don't go back to trying to earn or even keep your salvation by your good deeds. Rather, you've died to the law so that you might live to Christ. And that brings a new relationship to God's law. 
How do you respond whenever sin knocks you down? You can either go back to the law or you can either fight against sin. Here's where the heart of this text comes from in verses 13 through 23. Paul says, look at verse 4, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I don't even understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do. I do the very thing I hate. I wonder how many of us have read that and the light bulbs go off and we say, yes, that's what I feel like. Now that I have this new relationship with Jesus, I want to follow him. I want to obey him. But I still struggle with desiring sin. I still struggle with feeling that, feeling that pull towards sin. See, actually, what's happening here is that Paul's describing what could be called the overlap of the ages. If you actually open up your handout, I have this little diagram in there from one of my professors, uh, Ben Glad, and it's, it's very, very helpful. You see on that diagram how there is the old age and the new age. And you see kind of branching off from there, there's the fruits of each age. You know, one is the spirit, the other is, you know, death and sin. Well, notice how those ages, they overlap each other, right? Here's what Paul is saying in the Christian life. Now that Jesus has come, sin still remains, but there's a new age here. Jesus has brought the end time blessings. He's brought them into the now. And so now there's just this weird combination of the good and the bad. What does that mean for the Christian life? Let me go back to kind of showing you this example. Remember, you used to be in the covenant of works. You used to be in the relationship to God's law where God said, you must obey if you're going to inherit eternal life. You must be good enough to get into heaven. But you can't. So you get plucked out of that covenant and you get united to Christ in this new covenant of grace. Where God says, Jesus has fulfilled the law for you. And now slowly but surely, you're going to start to live like Jesus. Here's the problem though. There's remnants of that old covenant still within you as it were. There's remnants of that old age still in this life. What Paul is trying to tell us here is this. The Christian has really and truly been saved, but you still struggle with the old life. The Christian really has the Holy Spirit living within them, but they still struggle with sin. There's that overlap of the ages, and we feel like what John Newton said one time, he said, I am a riddle to myself. In other words, I can't even understand myself. I can't figure myself out. He says, I'm a heap of inconsistence. Do you guys feel that inconsistency that you have in the Christian life? That's normal. <laughs> That's the, the normal experience of the Christian life is feeling that inconsistency of saying, I want to follow Jesus. And there are many times that I am but I'm also still struggling because I, want, I at times won't sin. Paul is saying, <laughs> frankly, you're in good company. When you look at that diagram, you'll see this. 
that the overlap of the ages does not end until you die or when Jesus comes back. So in this lifetime, as a believer, you will always struggle with sin. Matter of fact, we can say this. If you're a Christian, you will struggle with sin. But if you're a Christian, you will struggle with sin. You see that? You'll actually start to fight. Paul is saying in verse 16, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Here's what Paul's not saying. He's not playing the blame game where he's saying, well, I'm not really guilty. It's just kind of this other thing of sin. Paul is, he's talking there about the, those two different selves. The new self that wants to follow God, but then there's still remnants of the old self that wants to follow sin. Here's actually one way it's been pictured is this. It's actually using kingdom languages. It's kind of like this. John Newton gave this illustration. It's the picture of your life is like a country that has been successfully invaded by a greater and good power. They've won the war, but there's kind of a problem. There are remnants of rebels still living within you. And they're really good at hiding. They're really good at popping out and attacking you and then hiding. So it's, it's hard to go about defeating the enemy. In this life, even though the war is won, you're constantly having to fight those battles against the enemy that lingers within. Does that make sense? That's what the Christian life is. How does this fit in with what we're talking about, about how sin knocks us down? Here's the thing. In those two illustrations of A Christmas Story and Rocky Palboa, in, the, in A Christmas Story, you have someone, when they're knocked down, he just lays there and he says, I can't get up. This is just the way things are. This is just the way I am. But in the Christian life, the Christian can actually get up. Now, this is not what I'm saying, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's just in your effort. I'm not saying that. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christian is able to get back up and fight again. Here's the thing. Only people who are alive can fall down and get back up. Do you hear that? A dead person can't get back up. A dead person technically cannot be knocked down because they were never standing up. Do you see that? Paul is saying here that the sin that you still fight against, the sin that you still wrestle with, that you struggle in, that does not mean you're not a Christian. Matter of fact, John, in 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10, John will say this. How do you know if you're a believer? Here's on one hand how you know you're not a believer. If you act like you currently still have no sin. John says this. If you really think that you have no sin in the present moment, you need to question whether you're a believer. But here's how you know you're a believer. You acknowledge your sin and you confess it to Jesus. 
Notice that. Bringing my sin to Jesus does not disqualify me from being a Christian. It means I am one. This is hugely comforting for us who we're trying to follow the Lord. We're trying to obey, but we sin. We fail. We hurt others. That does not mean you've lost your salvation. That does not mean that God has given up on you. It means that simply sin has knocked you down. But by Christ, you can get back up and fight. That's what the Christian life is. Does that make sense? Sometimes we feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's the same person, but different personalities. And in that story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they're, they're, they're just fighting. They're warring against the other person. But here's the good news, though. The good news is that the new self, the new nature, the new age... It's not like sometimes what you've seen maybe on social media or especially Facebook. Have you ever seen this post where there's like Jesus on one side and he's doing the old school like, you know, boxing stance. And then there's like Satan on the other side and he's doing the same thing. And people are like, like this for Jesus to win. Comment on this if you want Satan to win. Have you ever seen that? It's just ridiculous. But if we're honest... We feel like that's what's happening in the Christian life. That it's an even match. But that's not the case. Do you all know what the difference is between guerrilla warfare is from regular war? Guerrilla warfare is this. It's just skirmishes. The war is done, but there are still fights here and there. It's actually the picture of this. You know, when D-Day happened, that was the definitive day whenever World War II was won by the Allies. But was the war over at that point? Were the battles just everyone stopped fighting everywhere? Actually, no. If you do your history, there was a lot more battles that still had to be fought, even though the war was over. But it was a matter of time until we would finally cease. The Christian life is this. Jesus has won D-Day for you, but you still have battles you need to fight. That's what the Christian life is. Here's what it means. I've heard one person say it this way. Every single day when you wake up, you wake up wearing Romans 7. Every single night when you go to sleep, you go to sleep in the Romans 7 clothing. You always have that remnant of sin within you. Sin is no longer powerful over you. It's no longer the greatest power in your life. And there's no longer the penalty of sin. But sin is still present. And that's why it means this. It means that every single person who comes in here is still a sinner. So the whole notion of, well, I can't be a Christian because Christians are a bunch of hypocrites actually does not hold according to Scripture. The whole reason we are Christians is because we are hypocrites. And matter of fact, the only type of person who can actually be a hypocrite is a Christian. You see that, right? 
Whenever we're growing in the Christian life, you see Paul wrestling with this. He says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I don't do the good I want, but not, or excuse me, I don't do the good I want. I, I don't have the ability to carry it out. Evil is what I keep on doing. You notice here that Paul is very sensitive to his sin. Y'all know what leprosy is, right? Leprosy is a disease that attacks the body where the, uh, the appendages really get damaged and they can become numb. They can lose their nerve pain. So what would happen is, is that whenever someone was a leper, they could either uh, bump into something that was sharp and have massive cuts that would then get infection and you know, their fingers would be gnawed off or burnt off because they couldn't feel anything. Well, when you're dead in your sin, you, your, your sin is not sensitive to you. It might be sensitive because you just care more about yourself and your pride and you just want to look good, but not in the sense where it's sensitive towards you and God. But the Christian is now alive. The Christian now understands what sin does to your relationship to God. And so now it becomes more sensitive. Do you want to know how you're growing in the Christian life? You become more sensitive to your sin. The things that used to not bother you a year ago bother you more now. Whenever you see sin in the world and you used to just shrug your shoulders, now it, it disturbs you. The sin within and the sin without, you're more sensitive to it. And what's hard is that if you're not careful, you can really sink into the depths of despair. You can really just put all the focus on woe is me that you forget to look at Christ. This is why the Christian, you must constantly keep coming back to looking at who Jesus is for you. You can't only just look at your sin and say, woe is me. Listen to me. Growth in the Christian life is not just saying, let me beat myself up for not being good enough. And as long as I just feel really bad about being bad, then I can feel good about being bad. But that's often the way we treat it. Even the devil knows he's sin. What's the Christian do? The Christian does feel their sin, but you take it to Jesus. Matter of fact, this is the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is whenever you see your sin and you say, there's nothing I can do. There's no way I can be saved. This is just the way things are. It makes you more self-absorbed and you sink down into despair or you try to run away from it and ignore it. Here's what conviction does. Conviction still feels the weight of sin, but you run to Jesus saying, help. You don't hide it. You bring it to him. You don't try to dress it up. You say, this is the way it really is. I'm asking for your help. That's what a Christian does. I wonder this. How do you think this group might change if we actually believed this? Should we be surprised whenever we see people sin? Should we be surprised whenever people confess certain things in their life that Maybe they're 
big sins, should we really be surprised? No. Matter of fact, this. The gospel would actually tell us this. That if someone confesses their sins, we should actually encourage them and celebrate that. Because the first step to repentance is confession. Does that make sense? It is not hiding. It is not trying to make yourself look better. That's exactly what Jesus was rebuking in other people. Paul used to be a Pharisee and his life used to be about making himself look good. But now that the gospel has come into his heart, he sees I am more messed up than I've ever realized. But God is gracious. Jesus is sufficient to save me and he will not give up on me. Amen. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that, well, now I can just sin all I want because, you know, it's the grace of God. Actually, this. Not only do you know you're growing in the Christian life whenever you're sensitive to your sin, you know you're growing in the Christian life the more you want to fight against it. Do you notice that language there where Paul says, Verse 22, I delight in the law of God. I want to follow him. That's my desire. He wants that. Do you see, over the course of a time, do you see your desire to fight sin? Do you see it grow? That's what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that we just lie down and say, I can't get up, woe is me. But rather he's saying, look, The reality is that there's a new sheriff in town and you can get back up and fight by his power. We often just define ourselves by our sin. We just say this is the way things are and so I might as well just keep living in this light. But that's actually not what the gospel says. See, here's what's interesting in the scope of Romans. Remember in Romans 6, Paul's saying, look, here's your identity. You're in union with Christ. But in chapter 7, he's going to say, but here's the reality, it's hard to live that out, right? So does that mess up your salvation? Look at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You realize what this is saying? The Romans 7 life does not, me- does not mess up or take away the Romans 6 reality. You are in union with Christ. Therefore, you can and you must fight against your sin. And by the way, that's what Christian community is for. To help each other fight against sin. And you can't help each other fight against sin unless you talk to each other about what sins are really in your life. We're living in just a a loneliness that is just paralyzing us in the Christian faith because we feel like we have to keep up this Instagram image that is curated and it's, it's edited and it's filtered because we want people to like us and accept us for being a fake self. That does not work in the Christian life. The Christian life is actually going to a brother and sister in honesty, someone you trust, someone who understands the gospel, 
And you're saying, look, I feel this Romans 7 reality in my life. And I'm asking you to help me see Jesus and to help me fight against sin. That's what the Christian life is. Do you all understand that? How do we know we have hope to even get back up and fight? Look at verse 24. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Here's how you can have hope to fight against sin. The Christian is still saved. Amen? The Christian will never be let go. Let me just give you a spoiler. That's what Romans 8 is all about. Romans 8 is all about this. No sin that can ever be as bad as you could ever imagine. And no suffering as awful and as tragic as it could ever be. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Amen? Nothing. That's amazing. Paul is saying here, you see him in verse 24 at the very beginning, it, it would be, it'd be very tempting that as you just look at yourself to say, I'm a wretch, and that's it. See, this is exactly what Satan wants to do with you. Satan loves to only tell you half the truth. He only wants you to know that I'm a sinner, period, that's it. But you have to tell yourself the full truth. You have to tell yourself everything. I love what one person says, a person who experiences shame has an abiding sense of failure and self-disgust. It is a keen sense of deep and unrelenting disgrace. I'll tell you exactly what it feels like. Y'all hear the rain, right? Yeah. Hail, yeah. Here's the thing. Whenever some of you sin, your conscience feels like this. Your conscience feels like that roof and it's being pelted with self-disgust. Can we be honest for a second? And some of you, here's how you respond. You either do this. You either respond by trying to be the cool guy or the cool girl and acting like nothing bothers you so you're not going to open up to anyone. But your conscience is doing this. Or you respond by saying, I'm just going to wallow in despair because there's going to be no hope for me. Your conscience is doing this. Isn't that why you think that maybe Christ is not enough for you? Here's what you have to realize about all these self-doubts, all these attacks to Satan, all your sin is this. All the rain, all the hail of God's wrath was poured out definitively on Christ. And so all the things that attack your conscience in an ungodly way is not true. Isn't that amazing? Listen to me. You are not your failures. You are not your parents' failures. You are not your ancestors' failures. 
You are not your sin. You are in Christ. Amen? That's who you are. That's what Paul says, that whenever sin knocks us down, by the power of Christ, you can get back up. You're going to get knocked down again. Don't be surprised. But by the power of Christ, get back up and keep fighting. That sin might be taking you years to fight against. Keep fighting. Because you have hope that one day, as Paul says, you will be delivered from the body of death. Amen? You will. That's the truth. I remember when I was at the Patriots, often their philosophy that was communicated to us was this. We don't care who you are. We don't care if you're a first-round draft pick who had a signing bonus of $5 million or if you're just the lowest guy on the totem pole who signed the rookie minimum. That was me. We don't care who you are. We are going to win a Super Bowl with or without you. That was their philosophy. Do you know what Jesus is doing for you? He is saying, I don't care how bad your sin is. I don't care how intense your suffering is. I am bringing you home no matter what it takes. There is nothing, including hell and death, that can stop me from bringing you home. So even though you struggle, even though you get knocked down, Jesus will lift you up. And Jesus will help you fight until one day you will finally be delivered from the body of death. Amen? That's why you should believe in Jesus tonight. Let's pray. Most wise and gracious Father, we ask that even amidst the rain and the hail that you would sow the seed of the gospel in our hearts, that you would not let the evil one take it away by either distraction or the cares of the world or our own sin, that you would rather help us to respond to this text. We do thank you for the good news here because it is so difficult in this Christian life, but yet we know that it's good that we fight. That helps to know that Christ is victorious. That we would know that we will one day be delivered. Father, we do thank you that as surely as the rain has come down, so your word has been brought forth to us and you have accomplished your purposes. And so we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.